I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. It was uh, three Fridays ago that the news that Stephen Sondheim died hit our computer screens, our phones, and other devices. Since then, an outpouring of memories, songs, of his letters to admirers and fans have filled those same digital screens as his genius is rightfully lauded. His music and lyrics are also immortalized in a new release, the first of three volumes, Timely, doesn't begin to describe what's to be had in the two-disc album that's out now, available on digital and streaming platforms as well. Sondheim Unplugged, the NYC Sessions Volume 1, is uh, out now, while Volumes 2 and 3 will be out in 2022. All told, there will be 120 Sondheim songs featuring 65 singers. There are songs from the uh, Sondheim oeuvre that are fun and familiar as well, as lesser-known ones, Gems All. Uh, This comes out of the Smash New York Review that in over a decade has featured Broadway's most impressive vocalists, along with a piano. It's Sondheim at his purest, if you will, the way he wrote these songs. In this album, the recordings are done in the studio and feature several, several performers who originated roles in Sondheim musicals like Annie Golden, Danielle Furland, and Terry Rolston. Others featured in the 42 tracks of Volume 1 include the vocal group Marquee 5, Michael Winther, Donna Vivino, uh, Karen Mason, Stearns Matthews, Hunter Ryan Herdlicka, Alice Ripley, Sally Mays, and Charlie Levy, among many others. These vocalists are accompanied by music director Joseph Goodrich on piano. And this monumental collection is produced by Phil Jeffrey Bond, who joins me now. I'll ask him about what Sondheim has meant to him, the Sondheim Unplugged Review, and now this album. Phil Jeffrey Bond is the host of the review, which finds its regular home at New York's famed Feinstein's 54 Below. Visit Sondheim Unplugged for more. The album is from Yellow Sound Label. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Phil Jeffrey Bond. Mr. Bond, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good yourself. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I appreciate your time. Um, th- this uh, album, uh, come, the, the release of Sondheim Unplugged, comes sort of at the best time and the worst time, doesn't it? Uh, the worst time, if you're a fan of Sondheim or an admirer of his work, um, it, it's it's been a sad time. I mean, this is what I've seen through the in the in the posts on social media, various posts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, this one hit hard, didn't it? Yeah, you know, it's something you just can't prepare for. You know, it's, the crazy thing is, you know, he passed away on Friday, the twenty sixth, and I got home that afternoon, and there was a letter from him in the mail thanking me for sending him the CD because I wanted him to hear it. You know, I wanted him to hear all three volumes. Yeah. And I opened the letter. I was very excited to get it. And it was just a, a very nice thank you note telling me he looked forward to listening to it and to listening to the, the future volumes. And then 20 minutes later, my phone started blowing up and, uh, you know, I found out he had passed. So it was just an unbelievable day. And then on top of that, you know, Sunday night, we had to go and do the show live in New York. So it was, uh, it was as dramatic a time for us as it was for people all over the world. Yeah. Uh, have you seen uh, that letter? Has it ended up on that Instagram account, Sondheim Letters? I believe it is up there, yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, it's, it's also another um, lovely thing to go through. Um, Isn't it? It, 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 it? You can see uh, what, what a great guy he was. I was, was going to ask you about what, what he was like to, to, to talk with over the years. I mean, did he know about the review, Sondheim Unplugged, and, and did he even go, say? Oh, he did. He, he knew about I, I, I knew Steve a little bit. I didn't really know him very well, certainly not as well as other people. 
Um, but we met on occasion. We traded emails, and I, I do have a few letters from him. Um, he was incredibly, you know, it's, it's, it's all been said, but he was incredibly encouraging and enthusiastic. And I, I tend to approach his material with such reverence that I, I worry that, you know, I'm going to do something or make some arrangement or something that he won't approve of. So I finally, in the final analysis, found it easier just to go to him and say, look, is this all right if we put these two songs together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he was incredibly sweet, encouraging, um, a, a little bit aloof. <laughs> Didn't like to have his picture taken. I don't have a picture with him. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, he was just the, 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 as great a guy as has been documented everywhere. And, and I can't even improve on the, the beautiful tributes that have come out in the, in the past uh, week and a half or so. Yeah. Well, what, um, when, when did the review, Sondheim Unplugged, when did that start? We, we opened 11 years ago, it was 2010, and uh, I was the, the uh, artistic director, booking manager of the Laurie Beachman Theater on 42nd Street and 9th Avenue, and I needed something for the summer. I needed a show to go in for the summer. And it was only supposed to run for four weeks. It was uh, around the time of Sondheim's 80th birthday, of course, so there were a lot of big concerts happening, the Lincoln Center concert, the, the Town Hall concert, and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do something in my theater that was just smaller and scaled down. So I thought about just doing something with a trio, and then I thought, wait, let's just do it with the piano, and, and we'll just concentrate on how brilliant the melodies and the lyrics are, which, you know, without the instrumentation, it really draws your ear, your, your eye, your focus, into the simple brilliance of the structures of the songs. So that's what we decided to do. We never, ever dreamed it would be running 11 years later and spawn three volumes of, of CDs. But uh, life is funny that way. Yeah, and the, the, that's the, the marvelous thing as I'm listening to the album. Um, the, the voice, obviously, you hear the lyrics, uh, the brilliant lyrics, mm. um, and the piano itself is, it, it's beautiful because that's the way I would assume he wrote it. Exactly. That's what I like to tell people, like, you know, we who knows, but this is likely the way Sondheim first heard it in his living room before anybody else heard it. Wow, what a, when, when, what, what a wonderful when, thought, you know? Yeah, when we were doing a show at the Laurie Beachman Theater, um, it's right across the street from Playwrights Horizons, and actually they used to use that theater as a rehearsal space for Sunday in the Park with George. Mm. So it's documented in uh, Meryl Seacrest's book that the, the first time Finishing the Hat was ever played or anyone ever heard it was in that theater, was in that space when they were rehearsing, and they put Finishing the Hat in sort of late in the, the run at Playwrights Horizons. So Sondheim and James Lapine played it for Mandy Patinkin, and he loved it and grabbed the lyric sheet and put it on the sketch pad, you know, and they put it in the show that night. So it was just kind of great being in that space where, where um, you know, Sondheim and Lapine had sort of co-birthed Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah. Um, so so for, for people who haven't had the, the pleasure of seeing Sondheim Unplugged, like myself, what's the evening like? How do you, how do you put the, the show together, say? Yeah, it's, it's very casual. Um, I, I host the show, and um, you know we'll, we'll hear a couple of songs, and then I'll speak about the shows that those songs came from. And I just sort of give a little bit of background, um, tidbits, history lesson of the original Broadway productions of those shows, and you know who was involved, and how many Tonys it won, and if there are funny stories, and there are funny stories about all of them, and there are far too many for me to get in in a 75-minute show. Um, but I just give a little bit of narration, and then we have these amazing singers. We have a rotating cast of about 70, which we're always adding to, and we feature, you know, between 8 and uh, 12 singers uh, per show, and they're some of Broadway's best singers. They Most of them appear on the CDs, mm-hmm. um, and and it's great because these are parts that maybe they've always wanted to play but haven't yet had the opportunity to do so, so they get to do it, and, and gosh, do we have the nicest audiences who have supported us for over a decade, and 
they come from all over the world, really. I've had people from Turkey and Hungary, and I, I can't even name all of the places. Um, and, and sometimes they even schedule their trips to New York around our production schedule because they want to be in New York when, when we have a show, uh, which is really nice. And it's a, it's a nice little family that uh, seems to grow every show. And so they're at 54 Below now, is that right? We're every month at 54 Below except for July and August, and we're usually the last Sunday of every month. I see. Yeah, um, the idea of putting the the album to, the albums together, and, and so now we have the first volume. Um, it just seems like a natural that that um, the, these various performers who'd come over the years would 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 go into a studio and and, and set these tracks down. Was that your idea to to, to want to do that to capture that, say, for posterity? It was. Yeah, I really wanted to capture this past decade, and we've. Um... Uh, you know, it was COVID, really. We all of a sudden we were dark. You know, everyone mm. was dark. Uh, Fifty Four Below went dark, and we couldn't. We've been doing the show in London, and we couldn't do it there. We couldn't travel, and our audiences on our Facebook page were sort of like, "Boy, we really miss you." And I thought, well, we could we could do a cast album. So then I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, I can't narrow it down to fourteen tracks. I mean, there, <laughs> there have been so many great things that have happened over the last eleven years. So we did one hundred and twenty-six tracks yeah. with seventy vocalists. And, and it's all, we actually go into the studio tomorrow just to do our last little thing because uh, Pamela Myers uh, is in town for the company opening, so we want to get her. Uh, but she's the last person we have to record. We're going to do that tomorrow for Volume 3. Um, so it, it grew out of COVID, really. And uh, now I'm just so pleased that it's preserved for posterity. And uh, everyone at Yellow Sound Label has been so great. And I've never produced a CD before, so it was a, it was a sharp learning curve. The, the songs in Volume One, you know, they're, they're familiar. Some of them, you know, go back to West Side Story and and through to every show thereafter. Um, the, the three volumes, the 126 songs, um, they represent his entire career. Are, are, are there songs that, that um, we haven't heard of before, even say? Well, if you just look at Volume One, you know, you've got very familiar things like something's coming and sending the clowns but people may not be as familiar with talent from mm, roadshow right but they may not be as familiar with ariadne from the frogs which is actually written for the, the recent well not recent i think it was 2006 broadway uh, production of the frogs um so it, just like we do in the show we try to present a little bit of the obscure and a little bit of the really well known so that's going to be true across all volumes of the cd and how do you decide on the the performer and what song they do. I mean, I guess do they sometimes come to you and say, "Hey, I want to do this at, at one, uh, you know, one performance one night." Say, it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm pretty good at matching performer with uh, with material. It's just something. It's just like a knack that I've always had. Um, among the many things that I'm really bad at, that's one thing <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm pretty good at. Um, and then sometimes I'll I'll go to them, and I mean, I always go to them at first, and I say, "Hey, is there anything you're just dying to do?" Because that's exciting for for me and exciting for the audience to hear a performer do something they just always wanted to do. And then sometimes they just say, well, I'm really open to suggestions. So like, we just had a new cast member in this past show um, named uh, Sora, and, and she was so marvelous. She was so great, but she didn't really know any Sondheim, and she has this amazing voice. So I said, well, why, why don't you learn Take Me to the World from Evening Primrose? Because I was familiar enough with her voice to know that she would really knock that out. Yeah. And boy, did she. And there's video on our Facebook page of it now. And um, it, I... I love it when something like that happens when when the right material and the right performer come together and it's just magic. Yeah, there, there are there are songs here that I didn't know and performers I didn't know, and they're just marvelous to to, to, to listen to and 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 see how they tackle Sondheim because it, it really Sondheim songs are not easy to perform, are they? No, they're not. But you know, it, they're deceptively 
simple at times because yeah. he gives you so much. There's there's so much there that I often have to pull a performer back and say, look, Sondheim is doing an awful lot of work for you. You don't really need to give it anything because the songs are such a beautiful blueprint and, and it's just all there. It's all in the music and the lyrics. So the, the, It's like peeling an onion. Yeah. His, his music just keeps giving and you can hear it a hundred times or perform it a hundred times and still find something new. That's absolutely right. I mean, Sunday, the last track on on, on Volume 1, um, that's something that I've been going back to over and over again these these past couple weeks um, because there's something there every time that I didn't know before, say. And, and absolutely. This is, the, the melody is beautiful, obviously, and there are things that I didn't hear the first time or, or the hundredth time, if you will, and the performer's magnificent on that. Oh, that's the brilliant Charlie Levy. He's mm. just so brilliant. And I went to him, and I, I really wanted someone to do a solo version of Sunday because we're used to hearing the big choral arrangement, right. which is stunning. Uh-huh. But I said, it would be really cool to do this as a solo. So I went to him, and I said, do you think you could do this? And he, and he said, yeah. And he got together with Joe Goodrich, our marvelous musical director, and they put that together. And I just knew that that was going to close our first volume from the get-go. The um, I, I was listening to um, Unworthy uh, of Your Love from Assassins, and... Um, as I was listening to it, um, I thought the voice was familiar, and it turns out it, it, it is Annie Golden from the original cast, right? Yes, it is. Um, what is it like? I mean, I, I should ask her this, but I'll ask you because you're on the phone right now. Um, was that your idea from the get-go to have her do that again, say? Yes. I mean, Annie is one of those performers who just gets better with age. I mean, she yeah. sounds better now than she did then, and she sounded great then. And, you know, you, you approach a performer with, you know, carefully, because who knows if they want to revisit something they did 20 or 30 years ago. Um, but Annie, you know, is, is thrilled to sing that song because she originated that song. It's a, it's a major part of her history. And so she's done it live for us many, many times. And, and she was good enough to come into the studio and do it with us with the amazing uh, singer named Michael Winter. Uh, so now there are two versions of Unworthy of Your Love out there and, and with Annie, and I'm thrilled about that. And we also have, you know, Sarah Rice, who is the original Joanna. She's coming back and doing Greenfinch and Lindenberg for us. And um, Jim Walton is going to do Our Time from uh, Merrily. Those will both be on Volume 2. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of the originals doing um, things that they that they originated, which is very exciting. Hey, you mentioned Pamela Myers. I assume that she's doing something from Company, is she? She's not, because she feels like she's already done that definitively, and she I really see. has. Yeah. But she's going to do a song called Me and My Town from Anyone Can Whistle, which she's done live for us before, and, and she does it marvelously well. Was there any thought, Phil, to doing uh, some of the recordings live, say? You know, live recordings, as I've learned, are very difficult, uh, because you get sort of one shot at it, and then it, it's uh, you, know, you can't control the mix as well as you can at the studio recording. So um, I do have board mixes of many of our shows, and I just didn't think that the quality was going to be exactly what I wanted it to be, even though capturing the excitement in the room might be interesting. Mm-hmm. I really wanted a polished studio recording, so that's the direction we went. Yeah, these are the, some of these recordings, I mean, I, I, can, I can see them years from now being, being played as, say, the definitive recording of some of these songs. Oh. I mean, this, is, this is not to knock some of those marvelous cast albums that we all have and, and so forth, and, and even covers that, that, that we all have, but it, it's, it really is just terrific to, to hear. Um, the, the ordering of the tracks, I assume a great deal of thought goes into that? Oh, I'm, I'm working on it. I was working on it right before we started speaking um, on Volume 2. You know, I just sit here, and uh, you, you have to balance so many things. You know, you don't want too many women on one CD. You don't want too many men on one CD. You want a balance. You want up-tempos versus ballads. You, you want songs that just fit together. And, and when you hear it, I'm, I'm learning this, when you, when you hear it, one song leads into another, there's a perfect fit, like fitting puzzle pieces. 
agonizing, but it's worth it in the end because now when I listen to Volume 1, I think, oh, this has a really nice flow to it, and I really do hope people listen to it in order and not on shuffle. But, yeah, it's an exacting math, and um, yeah, once it's done, it's great, but doing it is another story. Yeah, I listened to it. I, I, I forced myself to listen to it uh, from the beginning to the end because I assume that, that, that there is a um, – there is there's a, a method to all of this, and then uh, on the fiftieth uh, time, say that I've been <laughs> listening to the album, oh. I've been I've, I put it on the shuffle, and uh, yeah, it works as well. Um, uh, but there is something about the, the 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 even just the delineation between disc one and disc two. Um, it, it is like sitting in a theater at night. Well, that's how I programmed it. You know, I programmed yeah. it just the way I would program the live show. Um, when you, when you look uh, at the totality of Sondheim's work, um, you, you can almost break it off into periods. You know, the, a, f- a funny thing happened on the way to the form sort of sits there um, as a transition, if you will, from mm-hmm. say his lyric writing, his exclusive lyric writing, through to his own material, beginning mm-hmm. with say Company, and then you know the the Hal Prince years, and then everything after, if you will. Um, is there is there a period that you like better than others? Say, I, this is like asking someone who their favorite kid is, but I maybe he'll he'll indulge me. Well, I like the way that you broke that up between the the West Side and Gypsy years and the Forum, which is his first breakout on his own, and the, the Hal Prince years, and and then into the James Lapine years, and um, so forth. I, I, that's a nice way of putting it. No, I mean I I love all his children equally. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for the James Lapine works, especially Sunday. Uh, but also into the woods and passion, um, but but there's no there, there's no one that's, that each one gives so much in their own way that you can't really single one out. Other than to say that, you know, I think Sunday is probably such a love letter to art itself that it, it's hard not to just be head over heels in love with it. Yeah, you know that's a song that that I always liked, but since his death, um, it's taken on new meaning because I, I I really. Do think that it, it as you just said, um, it, it it's more than just a song for for him, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's not just the song; it's the whole show. Yeah. I mean, the whole show is, is, is such a testament to art and his love of art. And um, you know, James approached him. You, you, James wrote a wonderful book called "Putting It Together" about the making of Sunday in the Park with George. And um, you know, James sort of said, "I have some ideas for musicals, and look at this picture." You know, George Strauss picture. And uh, they didn't know what to do with it. And suddenly, James Lupine said, you know, the main character is missing, though. We could write a musical about this picture, but the main character is missing, and that's the artist. Mm-hmm. So Sondheim said, well, when James said that, I knew we had a show. And that's how, you know, that was sort of the genesis of Sunday in the Park with George. So, it, you know, it's about art and legacy and the process, the sometimes agonizing process and sacrificing process of, of making that art. And so it's hard for anyone in, in, in any creative profession, I think, not to just totally be head over heels with that material. You know, when I um, see those letters, as, as we all have the, the last couple of weeks, um, and, um, you know, see interviews that, that he's done over the years and, and, and listen to the work, um, he, he's an artist that, that um, I think fans, admirers, uh, I've always wanted him to know how much he was loved, and, and um, I, I think he knew that, didn't he? Oh, I think so. I think he had to. Uh, you know, just the correspondence alone. Um, I, I think something that brings me joy is that I think he left the earth knowing how much he was 
idolized, how much, how much, uh, and he didn't have an attitude or an ego about it or anything like that. But I think he knew that, and and I think he left this earth very peacefully, and and I'm very grateful for that. You know, I was just grateful to see when he walked into the, the, the there's video up there of him walking into the one of the preview performances of Company. Yeah. And you would have thought a rock star walked in. I mean, people just went nuts, and and uh, how could he not know that? So I, I I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I think it's in the in the in the, the marvelous documentary Six by Sondheim where, um, or it must have been something else that I've seen uh, in 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 a couple. Of, everything sort of blends together now, unfortunately. Um, where he's talking about writing still, but how he doesn't want to disappoint people who might think that uh, whatever is next is not as good as something that they liked before. Well, and, I think that's universal of everybody. You know, everyone who creates art worries about you know one upping themselves. Yeah, I just, I just, I just worry as well that as much as one loves him, uh, if that was such an undue burden on an artist. You know, we'll never know. Uh, you know, he had hits and flops throughout his whole year, his whole life, um, and and uh, you know, after Merrily did so poorly, he just vowed he was going to leave the theater altogether and write mystery novels. So thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, I would have loved to have seen you know Square One with the musical he's working on with David Ives. Uh, finished, uh-huh. uh, but I understand it was very nearly finished. They did a, a big reading of it with Nathan Lane and a whole bunch of stars. So, who knows? We we may see that yet, and that would be lovely. Yeah, you, you just mentioned "Merrily We Roll Along." Um, growing up, which was which was a song that came, I guess, after the show, right? He 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 wrote that after. Is that right? The song "Merrily We Roll Along." No, growing up. Oh, growing up. Huh. I'm actually. That's a good question. I should know that. Um, I think it's in the, all of the recordings that I have, um, but I don't listen to the original as much as those the revivals. Yeah. Um, you may not want to put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it's it, it, it's such a, 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 a wonderful song that um, the 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 marriage that that um, that's on the album with with good thing going, yeah. um, it's just genius, you know. That was Michael Winter and uh, Joe Goodrich putting that together, and it was Michael's idea, and he came to me with it. And he said, he did it. Michael had been in the, um, the production at City Center Encore. He played Jerome mm. in that, and he had always loved that song, which not a lot of people, you know, record. And um, he said, "Can I put this together?" And I said, "Yeah, let's hear it." And it was just so lovely. And the day he came in to record with Annie, we we had about 15 minutes in the studio that was unspoken for, and I said, "Just put it down. I just really want to get this." And we got it, and it's just so lovely, and I'm so glad we have it captured. Yeah. Um, again, when you when you think of just the lyrics alone, uh, you think of Maria, or you think of uh, something's coming. Um, uh, G. Officer Krupke, um, and then and not to mention the songs from Gypsy, like "Let Me Entertain You," which are all on this album. Um, is there a favorite for you in terms of what you enjoy? Uh, more say the, the the lyrics or the music of, of Sondheim. No, I think the genius of Sondheim is the brilliant meld of the two. Um, there's just so much substance, and it's so eloquently presented, and like I said, forever giving um, that you, you you really can't choose one or the other. It's it's the melding of the two that makes it so magical. And that's the thing for for laymen like myself who who don't perform or have any idea about show business, but enjoy it as a, as a you know art. Um, you remember, say, the lyrics to Maria more than you say the, the melody, and and that's uh, you know that's how Sondheim emerges, I guess, isn't it? Well, it's just such a powerful song, and and it's so. I played Tony in college, uh-huh. and I remember asking the director. I said, "What? What? This 
name. What's the big deal about this song? <laughs> and my teacher, my, my, my director said, it's her name. It's a huge deal. And I thought, oh, my God. And I just, suddenly the whole brilliance of the song occurred to me. And just to hear it build and build and build like that, and, and Brian Charles Rooney does it so brilliantly on the CD, um, and, and he can really hit those beautiful, massive notes. Um, that's a that's now probably in my top five favorite Stephen Sondheim songs. It's just so brilliant. Yeah. So vo- vo- we've had women do yeah. it. We've had men do it. We've had uh-huh. all kinds of people do it on the show, and it always it, it always hits. Well, will you be appearing in in either volumes two or three? I have a cameo in volume two. Um, I won't tell you what it is, but it's very brief. <laughs> well, we, we don't want to spoil what's going to be on Volume 2 and 3, um, but uh, they come out next year in 2022. Is that right? No, no, they come, they come in 2020. Yeah, I'm already in the next year. They come out in uh, March 22nd will be Volume 2. That's Sondheim's birthday. Uh-huh. And then June 1st will be Volume 3. I can't wait to, to hear Volumes 2 and 3, um, but, but until then, I've got Volume 1 to go through, and I'll, I'll probably go through it the rest of my life like, like most people. Um, Thank you. Uh, congratulations, Phil, on, on such a marvelous piece of work, and I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for your time today. My goodness. Thank you very much for doing it. It was a pleasure. Visit SondheimUnplugged.com for more information. The album is called Sondheim Unplugged, the NYC Sessions, Volume 1. It is from Yellow Sound Label. Uh, it is uh, also available on uh, the various digital and streaming platforms, as well as uh, all those places where one can get a CD nowadays. It's producer Phil Jeffrey Bond. Join me on the line from uh, Putnam Valley, New York, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunto. <laughs>